Ricky Casso wasn't a mass murdering active shooter. He didn't murder scores of men and women to satisfy a sexual need. Ricky Casso, aka the Acid King, was a 17 year old high school dropout, drug dealer, and occult enthusiast. On the night of June 19, 1984, fueled by LSD, angel dust, and guided by Satan, Casso brutally stabbed 17-year-old Gary Lowers to death and gouged out his eyes. Within 24 hours of Casso being apprehended, he hung himself in his jail cell. During the 1980s and 90s, what became known as the Satanic Panic was everywhere in the mainstream. The idea that heavy metal bands, role-playing games, books about the occult, and Satanism were leading America's children to the gates of hell. Myths about satanic drug cults, animal and human sacrifice, drug abuse, suicide, and murder shine through our parents' TV screens. Many parents as high as their own children soaked up this daytime television fear porn and were set loose on schools, churches, and record stores. With giant retards who should be lobotomized like Geraldo Rivera, airing television specials like Devil Worship, Exposing Satan's Underground, pumping fear-laced shit into the minds of parents all over the country. Here's a tip. Anyone on TV telling you how to live your life and what to think are pieces of shit. Okay? Okay. Now, without any further ado... Hello, and welcome to the Skeleton Factory Podcast, episode 22. I am Adam, coming to you from Austin, Texas. And the first film of the three films we're going to discuss pertaining to the Ricky Casso story is going to be 2019's The Acid King. Doing this movie first, because it is a pretty well-made documentary. I liked it a lot. It's very thorough of all the information that I've read about the Ricky Casso story and watched. This is probably, this probably covers the most bases. It dispels some myths and half-truths and things like that. And really just gets to the nitty-gritty of what the actual story was. What happened when and who was there when it happened. So... Setting up this whole episode, starting with uh, 2019's Acid King, I think is going to be the best way to go. So the Acid King was co-directed by Jesse P. Pollock and Dan Jones. So when Ricky was 17, his father kicked him out of the house. And, but before that, Ricky was a troubled kid growing up. You know, he had problems with authority. He had problems with his family. He got into drugs and had problems with drugs. He had a a big basket of shit that he carried around with him until the day he died. But at 13, with no job or resources, Ricky started selling pot and LSD. Uh, I grew up with kids like this, looking, as I'm sure you have. You may have been one of them. 
looking at where some of those people I grew up with now are in hindsight, um, it's it's kind of a mixed bag. A lot of them um, never left my hometown of Manteca, California, and the surrounding areas like Stockton and Modesto and all that Central Valley, California area. A lot of them just never stops partying, you know? And I ran into a few of them in my adult years after some time has gone by. And good Lord, boozing and drug usage and shit like that does that is not kind to your <laughs> to your face um spread over a couple of decades good lord but i also um you know i i have a lot of friends who pull their head out of their ass and you know got themselves some education some career skills and maybe got married had a had a family and are doing all right. And, you know, that's cool to see. It's cool to see these people you remember as kids, you know, you remember them as these <laughs> children and see them all grown up and doing grown up shit. And it's, it's pretty neat. Um, my cousin, Mike, who listens to this show and I've mentioned him before on this, on this show, um, yeah, he's one of those guys, you know, like him and I haven't talked in probably since high school, but we keep in touch on Instagram and, you know, we're, we're kind of, we're surprisingly into a lot of similar shit, at least when it comes to movies. So that's pretty cool. And he's, you know, he's got, um, he's got pictures with his kid and his car, which I think he might love more than his actual child. <laughs> He's got this fucking car. His his Instagram profile photo is his fucking car. Oh god. I get it though. I grew up with a a total fucking hot rod uh just gearhead of a stepdad. So I mean, I get it, man. I totally get it, but uh anyways, if you can keep track of me on Instagram, by the way, on Skeleton underscore factory. I post stuff on there as frequently as I can. I definitely um, been putting up some new promo videos uh, with a buddy of mine, uh, Joel Benner. And you may uh, recognize him from the Iconoblast podcast where uh, he co-hosts with uh, my buddy, Matt Cooper. And he also uh, dips in occasionally to the Con Man podcast as well, which I am going to be doing an episode of pretty much as soon as I'm done with this episode. <laughs> so, so yeah, skeleton underscore factory. You can keep track of me there. But uh, getting back to Ricky Casso. Um, so Ricky was, you know, he was kicked out of the house several times in his youth and I mean, when he was kicked out, he was kicked the fuck out of the house. So he was essentially homeless. So Ricky basically became homeless, sleeping in parks, in the woods, taking shelter wherever he could, and um, couch surfing where he could. And Ricky stuck up, uh, uh, struck up a friendship with a strange man, 23 years his senior, a Vietnam veteran named Pat Toussaint. Um, this character is in 
all three of the films we're going to cover today and of various levels of involvement in Ricky's life. So that's another thing, too. The The, the story of Ricky, Ricky Casso is not very consistent through the three films that we're going to be looking at, um, except maybe in this particular movie, The Acid King. The, the other two are uh, My Sweet Satan, uh, directed by Jim Van Beber, and Ricky Six, directed by Peter Filardi. Pat Toussaint um, was a practitioner of the occult. Um, he was described as looking many years older than he was, and um, he was probably a fucking tweaker, you know, let's face it. I grew up in a town full of tweakers, and you meet some guy who's like 35 and drives a Honda CRX, and, you know, he's got Pantera tattoos, and he's missing some teeth and shit, but then you find out the guy's like 19. You're like, oh, fuck, that's that's some hard living there, guy. But uh, Toussaint, Toussaint, it's not Toussaint, Toussaint was known to locals as uh, Pagan Pat, Grandpa Dirt, and Father Time. And so he had a variety of kind of monikers that he went by, depending on who you were talking about, um, who you were talking to, um, who was living in uh, Northport, New York, where this whole tragic story takes place. Pagan Pat, I was going to call him Pagan Pat. That's, that sounds uh, that sounds better. Uh, Pagan Pat, was a, he was a mentor of sorts for Ricky when it came to his occult obsessions. The pair uh, even went to the Amityville Horror House, if you remember, if you've ever seen the Amityville. Amityville Horror. Hopefully, if you're listening to this app, this show, you've seen the the Amityville Horror, uh, rather the original or the uh, Ryan, Ryan Reynolds <laughs> remake, which I did give a rewatch uh, last year. Actually, not bad. It's not as bad as I remember. Actually, so, anyways, <laughs> Pig and Pat and. Ricky Casso uh, drove up to the Amityville uh, Horror House because it's a real house. It's not just a house in a movie, but and it's still there as far as I know. So if you're ever in upstate New York and you want to go see the house from the Amityville Horror, you can totally go drive by it if you want. But they would go up there and uh, conduct rituals to Satan there. Uh, whether or not they actually entered the home, I, I don't think that's the case. I think they probably were... Uh, I don't know, fucking around in the yard, hidden in the trees. But anyways, it's, uh, that's kind of, I'm just kind of setting up all the characters that are uh, involved in this story. So yeah, Pagan Pat was Ricky Casso's sort of, uh, he was his satanic mentor of sorts. So, and let's see if you're actually, and, 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 the movie Ricky Six, which I'll get to uh, last, uh, the guy who plays the pagan Pat character is, if you've ever seen the movie Heat, which if you you listen to this show, you should already know the movie Heat inside and out. And if you don't, you need to get on that as soon as you're done with this episode. But the movie Heat, there was this uh, character named Wayne Grow. And Wayne Grow was like this kind of like like prison biker Nazi guy uh, 
who gets uh, he gets picked up by this you know group of professional uh, thieves to be a getaway driver, but then he ends up fucking uh, killing. Uh, <laughs> he ends up unnecessarily killing a uh, armored car guard during a uh, during a robbery, and this pisses off. Rob De Niro and Tom Sizemore and Val Kilmer and everyone else in their robbery, robber gang, and they end up, uh, well, the rest of the movie, trying to find out where this guy is and kill him. So, yeah, that guy, the Wayne Grow guy, he was uh, he was the Pagan Pat in the Ricky Six um, movie, which I thought was pretty good casting. That guy is, he's like, he's got this weird charm to him, but he's also comes off as a total fucking creep. So, so the the next character that's get, probably going to be more important, basically, uh, Pagan Pat is more of a side character, but um, Jimmy Troiano, who was like a fellow dirtbag kid, Ricky and Jimmy knew each other from playing like junior high football party animal shithead kid and his stock and trade was breaking into houses, stealing a bunch of shit and, uh, and sold what he stole for cash to buy weed, presumably and whatever kind of party favors he was into. And he was ultimately present during, during the murder that this whole story is about. He was actually a co-defendant with Ricky Casso. So so he plays a major role in this story. And Jimmy Triano was kind of known as, uh, like, a badass. Like, he was known as being a kind of gnarly, tough kid with, like, scars on his face and shit. <laughs> so, um, so he was kind of destined to be a fucking grimy fucking party kid. Ricky and Jimmy became fast friends and... There was a head shop in town called the Midway. Uh, that's brought up and not touched on too much in Ricky Six. It's uh, it's basically shown in My Sweet Satan. And <laughs> and I gotta I just gotta say now, like My Sweet Satan, ra- like covers so much fucking ground in the Ricky Casso story, and it's only 20 minutes long. And Ricky Six kind of goes this sort of nightmarish, psychedelic decline of two young men just plunging deeper and deeper into drugs and the occult and and getting entangled with the law. (laughs) So they both have their strengths. They both have their weaknesses but the but the midway was a head shop in north port new york and it was a like a forbidden place for kids but not kids like ricky and jimmy apparently but but they hung out there uh frequently the shop is um again it's featured in my sweet satan uh at one point ricky is allowed to move back home so there was a couple times where him and his uh, his, I believe, yeah, him and his dad just didn't see eye to eye on shit, and 
he'd kick him out of the house. And <clears throat> on one occasion, Ricky's allowed to move back home and resumes school. However, he eventually gets expelled for skipping school one too many times. So in response, Ricky's parents team up with the North Point police to have Ricky committed to a mental hospital. It's pretty harsh. Uh, I grew up with kids like that who would go to juvie and sometimes juvie didn't take. So they actually, they actually had to end up going to some sort of like psychiatric. I don't even know if they were hospitals necessarily. Some of them were like weird camps. Some of them were basically juvenile detention facilities, but they were focused more around therapy and shit like that. It wasn't like they were just locked up all fucking day or some shit. But being committed to a mental hospital, that's, I mean, that's, that's tough. That That's fucked up for some parents to, could you imagine your parents teaming up with the police to make sure that they put you into a fucking mental institution? So Ricky goes to the mental hospital and during his, his 11, 11 weeks stay that he was there, he attempted to escape at least five times and commit suicide once. <laughs> so it's great parenting. Uh, Ricky six really goes into how bad Ricky's home life was, especially his relationship with his dad, Dick Casso, who kind of reminds me of, okay. Remember the asshole neighbor in American beauty? He was, so American Beauty, you know, Kevin uh, Kevin Spacey had a daughter and then there was like the kid next door who like would go around and just videotape bags of trash blowing in the wind and <laughs> he sold weed to Kevin uh, Spacey and shit. But he had that but his dad in that movie was uh, this like closeted homosexual who collects uh Nazi plates like <laughs> From like Nazi dinner parties from from the Third Reich. Not like commemorative plates with like Hitler on it and a gold rim, you know. Uh, No. It's (laughs) – but actual just regular uh, just plates. And still – so anyways. uh, (laughs) So Ricky figures out that if he tells the hospital staff, the doctors, that he denounces Satan – that he'll be released sooner than later, and it actually works. So Ricky tells the uh, tells the hospital what they want to hear, and they let him out. Let's see. There's one section of the documentary that I'm sorry if I'm kind of bouncing around, but I'm trying to. Tell the story, the Ricky Casso story, but at the same time, tell you what's going on in this documentary about Ricky Casso because there's a bunch of stuff in there. You know, they have a bunch of kind of talking heads in there who are quote unquote experts and can um, provide some insight into the story of, uh, into the Ricky Casso story, rather. So, apologize if I'm kind of bouncing around. Um, now, in the documentary, I feel slightly bad ridiculing Jim Van Beber, and he's one of the talking head people in there. 
and he actually directed My Sweet Satan, so it makes sense that he was asked to be in the documentary. And I'm a big fan of his. I'm a big, big fan of his. Um, But in his interview, it's like he links being a Satanist to being a murderer or a nihilist. Then in the next breath says that he's a Christian and quote unquote knows what's up. And he sort of, he sort of feels pity for people like that. People who are uh, devoid of Jesus, basically he like pities them, but, but, but like communicated in a way where he's not, he's kind of being like a dick about it. Um, but at the same time, kind of coming off that, uh, like maybe he's not quite as up on the subject as he may appear to be. Uh, at one point he, he called Anton LaVey, Anton Levy, you know, you know, things like that. Like, I think most people have a passing cursory knowledge of Anton LaVey, like they or they've at least heard the name, but just to get that wrong, like Anton Levy, it's like that, like that got, that didn't even get edited out of the documentary. That stayed in. It's like, who's Anton Levy? Like he's Eugene Levy's straight, unfunny son that no one talks about, you know, Anton Levy. And he suggests Satanists are uh, desperate drug users that kill people, but it's a bit hypocritical, but I got much love for Jim Van Bibber, and I I understand in context what he's talking about. He's uh, he's he's generalizing. I don't I don't think he was communicated particularly well, but he was generalizing and he got his point across. I think, but it was a little clunky. I think they maybe could have took a second take on some of his stuff, but. As with a lot of Jim Van Beber interviews, he was drinking. So <laughs> you know, you, you get a you get a microphone and a camera in front of somebody, and alcohol starts to flow. People's memories are a little spotty. Uh, you know, communicating things come out a little little choppy. And believe me, I I of all people understand this. I am frequently on. Con Man podcast and Iconoblast, and I'm usually drinking <laughs> every time I'm on both of those shows because it's not my podcast and I don't have to, I don't have much responsibility. I'm not sitting there having to edit shit and <laughs> just sitting there. And that's, you know, the whole Jim Van Beber thing, that's not even really a criticism. It was just a thing that I was like, hmm, that, that stayed in. <laughs> Anyways. The victim, uh, Gary Lauer, who, you know, he would become Casso's eventual murder victim, was also um, a shithead kid who stole shit from people, did drugs and got arrested, etc. You know, but it's still tragic, you know. It, it, all these, all the stuff, like everyone involved in this entire story are... Rather young, damaged people in the throes of addiction or failed parents or misinformed 
adults who have been wrapped up in the uh, satanic panic hysteria. You know, that's sort of something that's in the front of their mind when kind of being presented with this information in real time. But, yeah, but Gary Lauer, um, as the story goes, he ripped off Ricky Casso for what amounted to be 50 bucks. And he got himself killed for it. Now, something that is communicated in um, the Acid King documentary, but is not communicated in both My Sweet Satan and uh, Ricky Six, is the fact that Gary Lauer paid Ricky Casso back. So it's a little weird in Ricky Six where it's like, Somehow they're buddies again, like shit blew over. And then they took him into the woods and killed him. You know, they, they brought him into the woods under false, pre- or false pretenses. It's like, oh, we're fine now. We're, we can totally be friends again and yada, yada. And once they get him out there, they're like, actually, we're going to kill you. Like, that's it's in the movie. So weird, like Ricky six is so strange and you like you kind of lose track of things like that. But um, and my sweet Satan, it's not addressed at all, which I totally understand. And the movie's twenty minutes long; like some shit just had to get chopped out of the story. And but the you know the point of the story is 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 there. All the kind of the bones of everything is there. Also, Jim Van Beber was more than likely going off of. Uh, a book called Say You Love Satan, which was the sort of primary inspiration for a lot of people uh, who were involved in this documentary. Um, and that book later turned out to be largely false, but we'll, you know, we'll get into that in, in, a, in a minute. So, so Gary Lauer did, in fact, end up giving Ricky Casso back the money he owed him. But Ricky Casso, that wasn't good enough for him. That he, it was like a sign of he was he felt disrespected, and he he felt that Gary Lauer had to be dealt with. So, uh, after some dealings in and out of court over a grave robbing incident, <laughs> uh, Ricky Casso's dad, Dick. Cuts off all ties with Ricky, wanting nothing to do with him ever again. And Ricky is, again, homeless and back on the streets. This time, for good. So now, Gary has paid back uh, Ricky the money that he owed him. And caught a few beatings from Ricky for it. So, sort of in the interim, I believe, in the interim, you know, before he actually got his money back... Uh, Gary would go into downtown and if Ricky was there, like Ricky would fucking kick his ass. So, you know, that happened on at least a couple of occasions. That makes sense. (laughs) I guess. So let's go ahead and jump ahead to June 19th, 1984. So the the night of the murder. Ricky 
Gary, and Jimmy, along with a local kid named Albert Quinones, which I think I'm pronouncing that right. <laughs> yeah, Ricky, Gary, Jimmy, and uh, Robert, uh, Roberts, Albert Quinones drop acid, and they head into the woods. Once around uh, a campfire, tripping balls, Gary started to get a feeling, started to catch some vibes that Ricky was up to something. And even um, and even said that he got the feeling that Ricky is going to kill him. And then uh, not long after that, Ricky ends up uh, jumping on Jimmy. I'm sorry, jumping on... Gary and a fight. Basically they, a fight breaks out. The two of them start fighting. So Jimmy runs up and kicks Gary. Gary gets up and Jimmy stabs him. Now Ricky and Jimmy run after him. Uh, Jimmy hands the knife off to Ricky and Ricky Stabs Gary repeatedly. Stabs him. Stabs him in the, uh, mostly in the torso and uh, especially in the face. And Ricky is quoted as saying, say you love Satan to Gary as he's killing him. Whether or not Gary actually said it is Kind of, you know, it, it depends on what story you, you listen to. But it is said that Gary didn't say that he loves Satan. He said he loves his mom, which is which is tragic. That's sad. That's like the last thing that Gary Lauer said before eventually getting stabbed to death in the woods, tripping on acid and getting his eyes gouged out. It's, it's awful. So... Gary was stabbed and estimated, depending on what numbers you look at, but somewhere around 35 times. Again, his eyes were gouged out. His body was covered with leaves and sticks and branches. Then Ricky, Jimmy, and Albert walked to Albert's house, which was not too far away, and washed Gary's blood off of them while Albert's mother and sister slept. That's fucking spooky. Imagine waking up and you find your son and his friends washing blood off of him. Assuming it's in, it was in their yard. Look out your window and you see three teenagers washing blood off of him in the middle of the night. Jesus. So Gary, having run, aw- having run away from home in the past, he wasn't reported missing for a good chunk of time. After a few days, Gary's mother gets an eerie phone call at the house. The voice on the other end said, you'll never see your son again. 
because I killed him. And this was Ricky calling Gary's mom. And that is pretty fucking dark. And if that wasn't bad enough, Ricky began bragging to other kids about killing Gary. And he took those who didn't believe him to where Gary's decomposing body was in the woods. And, you know, with Jimmy. So at one point, after having shown Gary's body to a bunch of kids in town, and none of them ever told, none of them ever told their parents, they never told the cops, um, they all kept their mouth shut. Jimmy showed his girlfriend the body. So of all the kids that Ricky and Jimmy showed the body to, it was ended up being Jimmy's girlfriend who told the police. You know, that's I guess that's just how that's how that shit goes. <laughs> that's how the fucking cookie crumbles, isn't it? It's always someone it's always somebody in the circle that's gonna get everyone fucked over. Ricky and Jimmy knew something was up. They buried Gary's body and fled to upstate New York to acquire a getaway vehicle. On July 4th of 1984, police discovered Gary Lauer's body. Now, where they fucked up was, uh, Ricky and Jimmy, that is, where they fucked up was they made a stop in Northport before going out on the lamb. They parked their car in what seemed like a fairly rural area. Uh, I mean, it was away from downtown, it seemed. But they parked their car and they fell asleep. Because I guess they figured if you're going to be a criminal on the run from the authorities, you want to be well rested. Some some drug addicts. Jesus Christ. You guys can... score some crank or something and just drive through the night. In the morning, the cops woke them up and arrested them. So that's, you know, that's where they fucked up. Like you fell asleep in your car and you get woken up by the police and they fucking drag you out and cuff you. So as the story goes, Jimmy surrendered, uh, surrendered peacefully. And Ricky, uh, (laughs) on the other hand, tried to stab a cop with a switchblade before being subdued and and handcuffed. So Ricky confessed to everything immediately. He confessed to killing Gary. He confessed to giving tours of his body, you know, to others and even... uh, the whole thing, making Gary say that he loves Satan. Albert uh, Quinones was offered immunity in exchange for testimony against Ricky and Jimmy. And after Ricky's confession, uh, the Suffolk County police hastily issued a press release 
that said <laughs> Ricky was part of a satanic cult. And let me see. I let me let me read a piece of the confession letter that is signed by Ricky Casso. So this is from Ricky Casso's confession letter. I had a shovel up there, and the fourth time I went up there, Jimmy and I buried it. We showed the body to Mark Flamante because he didn't believe me. And I also showed it to Richard Barton. Troiano told Mike Higgin about it. Gary has been ripping people off for money and drugs in town. Nobody liked him, and he got what he deserved. I have made and read the above statement consisting of five pages and swear that it is all true. Ricky Casso. It's funny. I don't know if this is actually Ricky Casso's handwriting or if it was the arresting officer. Actually, I think this is the police officer's handwriting. His handwriting looks just like the Zodiac Killers. <laughs> there you go. There, that's a that's a that's a, uh, a conspiracy theory for you. The uh, the officer who got Ricky Casso's confession letter signed was also the Zodiac Killer. <laughs> but um, after. <laughs> After the Suffolk County Police uh, put out their press release saying that Ricky was part of a satanic, uh, satanic cult. Yeah. After that sensational press release, a media circus ensued. Makes sense. After Ricky and Jimmy were charged. So, yeah, basically a media that has been just drooling for stories about satanic rituals and Satanism and hidden messages inside of heavy metal albums being played backwards on a record and all that shit. Like this story was, Oh my God, this, this had so much sizzle on it. It's ridiculous. So Jimmy and Albert both ended up getting off. Ricky ended up hanging himself with his bed sheets in his jail cell. Now, this was within 24 hours of being arrested. So within 24 hours, Ricky ended up hanging himself in his jail cell. So the rest of the documentary is interviews with filmmakers, musicians, journalists. And they um, these interviews kind of wrap up the rest of the movie and how the story of the Acid King influenced their their work and affected their work, and such as Jim Van Beber, director of My Sweet Satan, and Lori S. from the band Acid King, named after Ricky Casso. They're a uh, San Francisco Bay Area kind of. Stoner, doom metal 
band. Pretty fucking good, too. I saw them play with the band Yob out in out in the uh was it the Metro the Oakland Metro Opera House out in Oakland, California. It was pretty good. Pretty good show. I went there with a buddy of mine named Dan Demidio. And he's a barber extraordinaire. He's got a he's got a shop out in Oakland, California called Dax Lee's. So if you need a really good haircut, go see Dan at Dax Lee's. And he'll hook you up and you can sit there and talk about metal <laughs> and and whatever else. Dan's a pretty well rounded guy. You can talk about anything with that dude. And uh, who else? Uh, oh, goodness. Uh, journalist David Breskin, whose article for Rolling Stone titled Kids in the Dark was the source material, uh, sort of. It was, it was ba- that article was basically plagiarized in the largely discredited book Say You Love Satan written by David St. Clair. Uh, David St. Clair's uh, Say You Love Satan. Uh, I mean, he's he's the equivalent of, of uh, Vincent Bugliosi, who wrote Helter Skelter about the uh, crimes of Charles Manson and the Manson family. Depending on what version you believe in, that is. But I think at this point in time, uh, especially you know after... After seeing this documentary, you you find that David St. Clair's book was a lot of fluff, a lot of shit that uh, was plagiarized, again, from David Breskin. And if you want to read the uh, Kids in the Dark article, it's still on Rolling Stone's website. Like You can find it. It's pretty easy to find. So the documentary, The Acid King, sums up the story of Ricky Casso and the events surrounding the murder of Gary Lowers. Now let's move on to movies that are, quote, based on a true story. (laughs) You know, same story, but uh, there's liberties taken and whatnot. So we're going to jump to a favorite of mine. My Sweet Satan from 1994, directed by Jim Van Beber, clocking in at 20 minutes. And it's the most fun of the three films covered today, I have to, I have to say, in my opinion. If you like true crime stuff, The Acid King's great. And I think it's good. It's, it's, a, it's a good base. It's a good base to know the story and then watch this other stuff, but it's not hundred percent necessary. Like I, I saw my sweet Satan before I ever saw the acid King and whatever, you know, but I liked the story, you know, it was, it's a compelling story. I will say it's very interesting. And Jim Van Beber, uh, is easily one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. Uh, his film titled Deadbeat at Dawn is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's easily in my top 10. Easily. 
maybe even my top five. You know, if I was in the stranded on a desert island type of situation and, you know, you can only watch, you only had five movies to watch forever. Like, what would you watch? I, I think did be a, Deadbeat at Dawn would be in that list. It's such a good movie, and I recommend it to anybody, especially if you like action films, if you like cult films. It's fun. It's a very low budget, but it's, (laughs) again, it's one of those things where it was, you can excuse a lot, you can excuse a lot of the low budgetiness because the movie itself is pretty fucking badass, so... It's easily in my top five favorite movies of all time. You know, it's up there with like Blade Runner, The Thing, The Shining, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, <laughs> and Dead Beat It Done. There you go. There's my five. You know, the, those are five excellent movies that I have watched over and over and over again. And I'll probably continue to watch those movies like, you know, on the regular, you know, uh, along with stuff like Robocop and Shawshank Redemption and. Bad Lieutenant, the original Halloween, and Natural Born Killers, you know? Like, that's... Those are ten good fucking movies that I think anyone could live with for the rest of their lives. And if you can't, then you're fucking too needy. You're too busy watching Yellow Jackets on Netflix. Anyways. (laughs) Um, My Sweet Satan. This version of the... this version of Ricky Casso is um, is set in the 1990s, so it's condensing the totality of the Acid King into 20 minutes, you know. And and the next movie I'm going to talk about, Ricky Six. It base and Ricky Six is a two hour movie, and it condenses two hours of a movie into 20 minutes of blood-soaked, drug-induced, gore-laden hostility. (laughs) It has all the bleakness and gritty gore of like a Jorg Bucharite film, but with an American flair. It's very good. And there's some big differences, like um, Ricky. Ricky's name is slightly different. It's like I think it's Ricky Caslin in this movie, and you know they don't they don't establish that uh, Gary paid him back, and the you know this version of Ricky Casso is just like he looks like a '90s burnout kid with like the weirdest fucking haircut you've ever seen and piercings and tattoos and fucking Iron Maiden shirts. (laughs) It's like, it's very nineties and I, I love it for that. But, uh, yeah, my sweet saying, you know what? If, okay, tell you what, look up Jim Van Beber's, Deadbeat at Dawn, I believe Arrow Video did a very nice Blu-ray release of it. And on 
on that DVD, it includes all of Jim Van Beber's uh, short films, including uh, My Sweet Satan. Uh, there was his, I guess it's technically his most recent one called Gator Green. Um, what else was there? I think the music video for Pantera's Revolution is My Name. If you're a Pantera fan and you remember Revolution is My Name, uh, the music video that was directed by Jim Van Beber. And what else was on there? There's a bunch of stuff. Can't remember it all right now, but it's 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 good and it's worth buying. Also, there's a few, there's a few. Uh, I know there's. I think there's one called Visions of Hell. It's a. It's basically a Jim Van Beber box set. It's basically everything that he's done, pretty much, in one box set. That's kind of hard to find, but I know that there's copies of it floating around. And, um, anyways, yeah, my sweet Satan. It's basically the Ricky Castle story. It's just very much abbreviated, and it's got a thick coating of shithead stoner '90s uh, gloss over all of it, and it's it's glorious. I like it a lot. This is completely random and has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, but I just wanted to bring it up because it just sprung to mind just now. Um, if you're not aware of it, there is a Weird Al Yankovic movie being made right now. Starring Daniel Radcliffe as Weird Al Yankovic. And uh, I don't know. I think Daniel Radcliffe is a pretty good actor, actually. So especially now that he's like a, a grown up. And, he, <laughs> you know, obviously he's Harry Potter and everything like that. But now that he's like an adult, I think he's really kind of like come into his own. Sort of like. Um, oh, Robert Pattinson. I think that guy's had a pretty good turnaround. That dude was a glitter-faced fucking pale vampire creeper guy <laughs> in the uh in the fucking Twilight movies and I think he's carved out a pretty good uh a pretty good career for himself after all of that. So, I'm I'm pretty stoked about that. That you know, he's going to be Batman. That looks cool with Zoe Kravitz and uh Paul Dano as the Riddler and Colin Farrell's the Penguin, like that. That looks like a pretty good fucking movie. Anyways, <laughs> let's get back to fucking Harry Potter playing uh, playing uh, Weird Al Yankovic. Like, I'm pretty stoked on that. I believe that's coming out on. I think that's gonna be a Roku original movie. I don't even know where the. This may sound silly. I don't even know where the fuck you watch a Roku movie. I guess on Roku, I guess. You know, if you have a Roku... That's hilarious. I actually own two Roku TVs. It's, I'm sure if I just search it, that movie will eventually will come up. But I'm I'm a big Weird Al fan, and I talked about uh, uh, his film UHF a couple episodes ago. And um, if you haven't seen UHF, if you want to laugh, you know what? We'll put that as number 11 in my top... <laughs> top movies... Of all time, if you're stranded on a fucking deserted island and you know no one's coming to fucking save you, but yet you have like enough electricity to watch movies, I'll go ahead and put UHF as number 11. Because that's a really funny movie. Okay, let's jump into Ricky Six. 
from 2000, the year 2000, directed by a guy named Peter Filardi, and I couldn't find a lot of information about him. Ricky Six is based on the David St. Clair book, Say You Love Satan. But it also has a lot of sort of creative liberties in order to flesh out who Ricky Castle was. But it's very much in a 90s episode of The Outer Limits type of way. Like, like it's very... The movie itself isn't... It's not bad. I'm I'm not trying to say it's bad or anything, but it's... Like, once you know the actual story, the whole fucking... Acid King story of Ricky Casso, and then you see Ricky Six. You're just like, hmm, <laughs> this, is, this is like a like a a fucking teen drama like TV show or some shit. But um, but yeah, it's more kind of based on the uh, "Say You Love Satan" book, and the movie itself is interesting. It, it existed only in bootlegged form, so. VHS copies, DVD copies, and up until YouTube came into being, so what, post-2005, like, there was a good five, six years where you you couldn't find this fucking movie unless you were really, really, really looking for it. Or if you bought some like bootlegged copy online, it's kind of like the Fantastic Four movie from 1994, which I talked about in episode 21. It's one of those movies that was, I mean, it was a movie. They fucking they shot the thing. The thing was, the thing was done. It had music. It had fucking actors. It had. It was a real movie. It just never fucking got released. It was just shelved. But somehow it copies of it ended up with collectors and ended up getting fucking bootlegged and sold all over the fucking place. So, uh, I mean, the, the, the movie, the version of it that I saw of Ricky six is on YouTube. So there's a couple of really gritty, shitty quality versions of Ricky six on, on YouTube. And you know, they're good enough. You know, It's clear enough to watch. And, um, I mean, Ricky six is technically a better made movie than say, say you love Satan, not say you love Satan, uh, my sweet Satan. But, it's it's technically a better made movie in that there's more elaborate sets. There's a lot more actors. Um, they get more specifically into the story of Ricky Casso, his relationship with his family, his school, his classmates, his friends, how he gets into um, like how he how he meets uh, Pagan Pat, like that, all that stuff. Like all those things get addressed, but it's just comp- it's it framed inside of this like like an episode of Party of Five, where you know um, 
Remember in Party of Five when Bailey had a drinking problem? You remember that? Those sort of dark, serious episodes about, you know, we're, we're in this episode we're going to tackle the tough issues about Bailey and his drinking problem. <laughs> That's what it felt like to me. It definitely it had like a a late 90s kind of teen drama feel to it. But I think I still think it's pretty decent movie. You know, if I had to rank all these, I would probably say uh My Sweet Satan's number 1. It's just fucking, I love Jim Bam Bebber's shit. It's his, you know, that's number one. I'd probably put uh, the Acid King second and Ricky Six would be third. And that's not to say that I think Ricky Six, like, sucks or anything. It's just not as good as the other two. And <laughs> also, my sweet saying dozen 20 minutes what took fucking Ricky six two hours to do so I mean I do applaud the efficiency of storytelling on Jim Van Bever's part so in conclusion check out the Acid King documentary check out My Sweet Satan check out Ricky Six if you're into true crime if you're into Satanism (laughs) Or a lack thereof in in the case of uh, Ricky Casso. Or just the era of satanic panic. This is is all good stuff to check out. If you're uh, more of a reader, please check out The Acid King. A book by Jesse P. Pollock. The same Jesse P. Pollock who directed the Acid King documentary. It's the definitive book about Ricky Casso. So it's about as good as you're going to get. He wrote the book and he did the documentary. So everything you want to know about the story of Ricky Casso, that's right there for you at finer bookstores everywhere. Now let's move on to VFW. From 2019, and it, if you check out the poster for it, it's got a really cool throwback kind of poster, stars a uh, an, in, an interesting cast. You have Stephen Lang, who you'll remember from Don't Breathe, he's the blind guy in Don't Breathe. <laughs> Uh, he's been in a bunch of stuff. He's been in um he was in Manhunter, he was in Avatar, Don't Breathe Too. <laughs> of course there's Martin Cove. And Martin Cove is probably best known for his character of John Kreese in all the karate kid movies and Cobra Kai. He makes a return in the show Cobra Kai. He's, uh, we also have Fred Williamson. Fred Williamson was, he was in movies such as Black Caesar. He was, he was actually in a, a, a very similar film to VFW. He was in From Dust Till Dawn. And From Dust Till Dawn, you'll remember, a bunch of people are basically trapped in this 
really dingy bar in the middle of nowhere in Mexico. And they're trapped in there because it's surrounded by vampires. So all of these criminals and bikers and truck drivers and they all need to band together to stay alive. And one of the characters is Fred Williamson. You also have William Sadler. William Sadler, he was he was death in the Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. <laughs> All right, let's see. He was the bad guy in Die Hard 2. He was He was in Shawshank Redemption, one of my one of my one of my absolute favorite movies. He was I think I could be wrong. I think he was in the very first episode of Tales from the Crypt as well. Uh, he was also, if you're a Steven Seagal fan, he was in Hard to Kill. He was the corrupt politician guy in Hard to Kill. And Steven Seagal sticks a shotgun in his mouth. So that's that's fun. You have David Patrick Kelly, who everybody knows as... Luther from the Warriors, he's the Warriors come out and play guy. He was Sully in Commando. You know, Sully, you know, remember how I said I'd I'd kill you last? I lied. Yeah, that guy. Who else we got? We got George Went, who we all know as Norm from Cheers. He has a very short part in this. He doesn't. <laughs> he, he's not. He's not in it for very long. Uh, but that's okay. It was nice for him to show up. Anyways, uh, VFW. Let's see. It is. This movie is. If you're a fan of Assault on Precinct Thirteen. If you're a fan of Green Room, uh, you'll really, you'll like this movie a lot. I mean, it's definitely very violent, but the violence is almost cartoonish in a way. Because the violence isn't just random violence. It's, It's more of, it's sort of inside of a... Like a like a like a soft shell taco of a of of an action film, so you know, uh, <laughs> gory violence in an action film is usually you can usually you know you can gloss right over because it's an action film and the good guys got to beat the bad guys. So so we have our main bad guy named Boz. And Boz is a drug lord. He sells a drug called Hype, which is short for Hylophedrine. It's a drug uh, of the opioid variety. He gets a big offer of half a million dollars for, for some Hype. So this is a big deal for him. This is a lot of money. You know, for one one buyer. 
and his brother named uh, Rody says uh, he kind of brokers the deal, tells Boz that they're they have eighteen hours, and they're gonna make the uh, make the exchange at dawn. So Boz's headquarters is an abandoned movie theater, which I thought was kind of a cool. It's a, it's a cool. It's a cool home base for a bad guy because the place is kind of broken down and shitty. And it's just inhabited by people who are, uh, they're like drug zombies. They're just people who are completely addicted to hype that sort of occupy the outside of this theater and and parts of the inside. And, and Boz and his gang sort of occupy the, sort of the upper tier of the theater and that's where they that's where they operate their hype distribution is out of this uh this theater and the opening scene <laughs> very much sets the tone for the rest of the movie there is a scene where Boz is standing at the top of this balcony uh, in in the theater, right? And this girl is like, she wants, she needs some hype. She needs some drugs. And to demonstrate the power that Boz wields and the, the, the power of how addictive hype is on those addicted to it. He pulls out a vial of hype, a little vial. And he's like, you want this? <laughs> She's like, yeah, I want it. So he throws it over to the balcony and he's like, go get it. So this girl just stands up on the edge of the balcony and jumps off. And then she hits the ground in slow motion and she fucking explodes like a water balloon. <laughs> like a like a bloody bomb went off when she hits the ground and boom, title card VFW. That's how the movie begins. So you're like, okay, I I I can kinda I can kinda see where this movie's gonna go. It's gonna it's going to be kind of ultra violence but it's it's going to be kind of silly it's going to be almost i don't know like Ricky O level of violence maybe not that level that's just insane but you know it's in the same neighborhood so again we have Stephen Lang who plays the character Fred and it's Fred's birthday Fred is the owner and operator of a VFW hall. VFW, of course, stands for uh, Veterans of Foreign Wars. So this is a place where veterans of foreign wars from the American military come and uh, hang out. It's like their own bar. A lot of the dudes there, they're all old dudes, all Vietnam vets, uh, some Korean War veterans. It's just where they like to go and get shit-faced. Fred Williamson plays Abe. William Sadler plays Walter. 
and they're all at the VFW to party. Now it's 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 uh Stephen Lang. It's uh it's his birthday. So the whole thing is and Stephen Lang's like, I don't give a fuck about my birthday. <laughs> He's like, I would rather not I don't, I'm not interested in celebrating it. And they're like, Come on, man, we're gonna take you out to a titty bar. It's gonna be fucking great and shit. So <laughs> this VFW hall is across the street from this theater where this drug gang inhabits. So the drug deal that Boz is getting um, put together. So, so basically hype is in this, these like bricks, like these big bricks, big old blocks of drugs sort of wrapped in plastic and tape. Right. And it's in a, they keep keep it in a safe in his office. They also didn't lock the safe, so they're not the most, not the smartest criminals. Like Boz's gang, everyone sort of looks like, like, um, like hot topic metalheads. Okay, that's what they kind of look like. They have this '80s street gang leather jackets with spikes and fucking like everyone looks like they're in a fucking metal band, or they're a roadie for a metal band. <laughs> And Boz's bricks of hype get stolen by the character of Lizard. And Lizard is a chick who, mm, I mean, it's not really established whether or not she is one of the kind of, like, she hangs around. It doesn't seem like she hangs around Boz's crew. Like, she doesn't seem to be, like, a... uh, hype user but that's what they call people who are addicted to hype they call them hypers so lizard is not is not a is not a hyper lizard they established had a sister who became addicted to hype and ended up ultimately dying so she holds boz and his crew responsible so in order to get back at him she breaks into his office and steals all the hype, which we have established is worth half a million dollars, steals half a million dollars of hype, runs out of the theater. So she's able to get away through all the confusion. Boz and his crew, they're getting ready to go do this deal, but it, they, it, they almost suggest like they can, maybe they're going to abandon their headquarters as well, maybe leave town, maybe take the money and go. Like, as soon as they make the exchange, they're going to, like, disappear. But, I don't know. It kind of feels like that's what they were trying to say, but it, it wasn't entirely clear. So, with Boz's crew being preoccupied, Lizard is able to steal all their fucking drugs. So, Boz, uh, I mean, he he just barely enters the room as Lizard is starting to get away, and he... Whips out a gun, starts firing at Lizard, and she's able to get away. And Boz gets on this this microphone that's connected to the PA system in the theater and just tells all of the uh, hypers that uh, Lizard is about to escape the building and she's in she's on foot. And she has 
all the hype. So if, if you know, all these people want more hype, they got to go stop this girl from getting away. So Boz's crew, his gang, uh, goes in pursuit of Lizard and all of the hypers go in pursuit of her too because it's like, fuck, we got to stop one girl and then we can have as much fucking hype as we want. That's That sounds easy peasy. And people who are addicted to hype look crazy. Like, they look like extras from fucking The Walking Dead or something. Like, once you take hype, like, you look like a fucking zombie, essentially. Um, and, that, and that's kind of how all the hypers behave. They kind of, they behave in that sort of, like, the gang from Assault on Precinct 13. Like, they almost have no fear. They have no concern for their own lives. You know, they they just follow orders and are hyper-violent, you know. So, so Boss sicks the hypers on her, and she runs to the closest, safest place that she can get to, which, of course, is across the street at the VFW. So, once she gets in, Boss's brother, Rhodey, is hot on her heels. They run into the bar. Uh, David Patrick Kelly's character, Doug. I'm just going to call him, uh, I'm just going to call him Sully from Commando for now on. So, so Rhodey is in pursuit of Lizard, and uh, as soon as they get in, uh, fucking Sully gets in their way, and he ends up getting fucking... He stabbed. I don't know if that's the word. He ends up getting like fucking chopped in his like neck and shoulder with a fucking machete or some shit. So he's like horribly wounded. And Stephen Lang, who's the bartender at the VFW, he pulls out a shotgun and blows Rhodey's head off from across the room. And it, I mean, it is like scanners fucking level head explosion. It's like scanners. It's like chopping mall motherfucker's head explodes and yeah so now now all of these uh all these these vets see this girl now they're not completely aware that she has these drugs they're not they're not completely aware of the situation all they know is that there's a gang of weird thugs chasing this girl who want to who are willing to kill other people to get to her so these uh, all these vets are like, well, we got to protect this girl, so we gotta we gotta lock this place down because apparently there's a lot of fucking crazy assholes out there that are trying to get in here, and they're willing to kill us to get to her. So we gotta batten down the hatches. And yeah, once once they're established, every, like all the main characters are are inside of the VFW, then the movie really starts to get going. You know, that's where the movie starts to, you get those, it's starting to feel like a green room. It's starting to feel like Assault on Precinct 13. You know, it's starting, you're starting, you feel little splashes of George Romero's Dawn of the Dead. You're getting maybe, uh, you know, a, a hint or two of like Robocop 2. You know, it's it's got that kind of, it's got that type of feels in the movie. 
And I think that's why I like it so much. And I think, you know, if you're into those types of movies, you'll probably like this movie too. And it, the movie's, you know, the movie's not trying to like break new ground or be overly clever or anything. Like it's a very simple story. You know, drug gang wants their drugs. Uh, people in this bar are trapped. And the only thing that they can do is they're outnumbered. They're outgunned. All they can do is use their skill and cunningness and their their tactics that they have acquired in the military to barricade this place and fight off this gang. And, you know, uh, this gang, Boz's gang, ends up killing a whole bunch of the, of the characters. A whole fucking bunch of the characters. So, you know, it's... The payoff when Boz finally gets his is totally deserved, totally earned, and it leaves you with a warm, fuzzy feeling inside. Like, yeah, a bunch of, you know, a lot of Stephen Lang's friends had to die in pursuit of uh, protecting the bar, protecting the girl. And, but it was, but ultimately the fucking bad guy got his, his whole gang, really the whole gang, you know, it's one of those things where like a small number of people take out an army, you know, it's a, it's a good feeling. <laughs> it feels very much like a, like an eighties canon film or something like that. So yes, VFW has nothing to do with uh, the Ricky Casso story. Obviously, I just wanted to tack that on to this episode because uh, while watching all of the Ricky Casso Acid King, you know, movies, I wanted to kind of like watch something else. I wanted to kind of like mix it up a little bit because my brain was just inundated with fucking satanic murder. <laughs> so I was like, ah, I want to watch something that's kind of fun um so i watched so i watched vfw so and vfw was actually shot in texas it was shot up in dallas and i believe if i'm not mistaken it was actually shot in a real vfw hall so that's pretty cool also VFW premiered right here in Austin at a film festival called Fantastic Fest. So, in 2019. So, that's pretty cool. So, if you want to see some some violence, you want to see some some action with a kind of a, a, with a hint of horror, something with a, Something that appeals to uh, fans of Grindhouse-type films. Please, go check out VFW. It's pretty damn good. I just wanted to tack that on to the end of this episode. And, well, that's going to do it for me. Thank you so much for listening. I hope uh, this has been informative. (laughs) Go check out all the... uh, Ricky Casso uh, films, books, you know, things like that, if that's something that's uh, up your alley. And if you want to see sort of a fun, a fun, low-budget movie 
with a with a cool uh a cool cast of old dudes uh who are kicking ass and fucking people up with spike bats and axes and shotguns. Check out VFW. Well, that is going to do it for me, guys. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, you can keep up with me on skeleton underscore factory on Instagram. And uh, for any kind of updates on upcoming shows and goings-ons that are going on with me. So until next time, thank you so much for listening to the Skeleton Factory podcast, rescuing your movie night one movie at a time. See you on the next one, guys. Bye-bye.